0: The title of my message today is Keep It Simple. Keep it simple. The definition of simple is plain, basic, or uncomplicated in form, uncomplicated in nature, uncomplicated in design, without much decoration or ornamentation. Keep it simple. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you give us open hearts, open minds, give us eyes to see and ears to hear everything that you would want to say to us today, individually and even corporately. God, I give you my, my message. I give you my tongue. I give you my mind in this moment, and I ask you to have your way even in me today. In Jesus' name, amen. The more I learn about Jesus, I realize how much he's done to keep our relationship simple. Jesus has done a lot of things to keep our relationship simple. He never intended for our relationship to be so complex that we can't even have a relationship. Think about that. That's pretty profound. Why would he complicate it so much that we can't even be in a relationship with him, right? right? Jesus has done a lot to keep the relationship simple. The more I learn about man, the more I realize how much we like to complicate things and complicate the relationship. How many of you, just by honest confession this morning, say, I'm a natural complicator? Oh, come on, some good confession. Yeah, yeah it's about a third of you guys. Wow, well, that's the right message for the right day. No, I'm joking. This isn't just for you. It's for all of us. Go with me to Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I want to show you something with Paul and Barnabas. They were going around preaching, doing a great work. We've been talking a lot about Paul and Barnabas lately. Um, last week we talked about how Paul was basically murdered, stoned to death, and then left, left dead outside the city. But then some people believe he was resurrected. Some people believe he just wasn't dead, but either way, he got back up and he went back in and, and, and Paul did, and he went back in and continued to make disciples. He didn't let his circumstances stop him from doing the mission that God gave him. Did you heard that? You heard that? God didn't let his circumstances stop him from doing the mission that God gave him. Paul didn't let his circumstances, not God. Paul didn't let his circumstances stop him. How many of you would say, I'm guilty of letting my circumstances stop me? I'm having a bad day. I ain't worried about Jesus. I'm just worried about fixing my day. Paul and Barnabas go back in, preach the gospel, make disciples, strengthen up the church, they go on their way home, they stop at every place they planted a church, and they and they just continue to strengthen and strengthen and strengthen the believers and and encourage and encourage and encourage and make disciples and set people in place and and, and bring some order and structure to this newfound church. And so they're in Antioch of Syria, and and something happens. How many of you, not by show of hands, please don't raise your hands, um, but how many of you have gotten into a church fight? (laughs) That's okay, I asked you not to raise your hands. (laughs) Church folks can fight too, yeah. In fact, sometimes they can be the most vicious. So Paul and Barnabas get into a church fight, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, listen to what it says. While Paul and Barnabas were in at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. So some guys came in from Judea and began to teach the believers. Listen to what they were teaching them. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, for most of you, you probably go, that's not good. For some of you, you're like, what's wrong with that? Well, me personally, I think there's a lot of things wrong with that. They, they planted a church, and some other believers came in and said, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them. Listen to this. This is one of my new favorite words arguing vehemently. Say that with me. Say vehemently. (laughs) Kind of drag it out a little bit like it's vehemently. Almost like vomiting, like vehemently. Right? Like rough. Like it was a nasty fight. It was a get down, get dirty. I'm passionate about what I believe in. You're wrong and I'm right. Vehement. Argued with them vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem. They sent them back to the capital. They're like, you got to go get some help. (laughs) Accompanied by some local believers to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. I want you to keep a few things in mind this morning. Paul is arguing against the law of Moses when not too long ago he was the man of the law. Come on. He's the man now who's saying you cannot put that burden on people because it's not right when he used to be the man not long ago who would say you got to be the one that gets circumcised. He was the one telling everybody you must be circumcised. You must be circumcised to be saved, to be right with God. In in other words, to get right with God, you got to lose some skin. There's a big problem there. And then keep this in mind also, that if anybody could argue the law, it would be Paul. Think about this. He was, he had seen, Paul had seen firsthand, firsthand how the law can cause confusion and division, you remember the time he, Paul got saved when he was knocked off of his horse and the Lord blinded him for three days and put him in a building by himself and then finally sent somebody to pray for him, right? You remember that? that, that, God, that Jesus broke that law thing off of Paul. You remember, you remember the story? Shake your head or something. Come on, I'm going to keep going until you shake your head. You remember when that happened? You know what happened to Paul in that moment? He saw the difference between law and grace, he saw it firsthand. He had experienced the law and that you got to keep all these things right and nobody could. And then, all of a sudden, in a moment, he experiences the grace of God that he can't even wrap his natural mind around. Paul knows the difference. Paul knows what it feels like to be freed from the law. Paul knows what it feels like to get away from the law and to live in grace. So they went to Jerusalem to talk it out. Funny thing is, is some other believers showed up there too, pushing the same issue. Not the same ones from Judea, but some other ones came trying to push the issue of circumcision to be saved. Now, here's the thing you need to understand. There was nothing wrong with circumcision. There was just something wrong with circumcision in order to be saved. So don't get confused. There's nothing wrong with circumcision as long as it's for health reasons. But when it comes to in order to be saved, that's a major problem because all of a sudden they were trying to attach something to the cross and attach something to the resurrection of Jesus that says you got to do something more than the cross, something more than the resurrection. You need something more than Jesus' blood. Come on, you tracking with me? In order to be saved. That's wrong. That's wrong. It's 100% wrong. And so they were pushing the issue of circumcision, and I just I kind of had to laugh when I was writing my message because I was like, it just sounds to me like they're mad. Like, like they kind of had an attitude like they're mad because, man, I had to be circumcised to be right. So now all of you got to get circumcised too. Does this sound funny coming out of my mouth? It's like like they got mad. I'm like, I want to go, you mad, bro? Like, you mad? I got grace, you got law? Could it be that some of us here are mad because we had to do certain things to be right with God? And now because we had to do them, that means that everybody has to do them. Anybody raised in a religious environment? At 12 years old, when I gave my life to Jesus at ABC camp in in Richard, I went to the church. They told the church all these teenagers had gotten saved. You know what the people came down the altar and told us? What not to do? Not welcome to new life. Not welcome to life itself. Not welcome to freedom in Christ. Not welcome to, to grace of God. Don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. I think they were mad. (laughs) Maybe we get jealous because others are made right simply by what Jesus did and not by what they had to do. You see, Paul and Barnabas blew the whistle on these folks with their strange teaching. It's actually false teaching. They blew the whistle on these guys because their false teaching would have complicated the gospel for no reason. So, 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 back up and look at the whole situation. Paul and Barnabas could have said, Oh, well, you know, they're just some false teachers. You know, those guys, there's doctrine. Their doctrine's just a little bit messed up. You know, it's just like, just, just make room for them. Just, just be, be graceful. No. What did they do? They stepped in with the authority that God gave them and said, You will not preach that here. That is a lie from the pit of hell, and that is wrong. And you cannot add anything to the cross and the resurrection and the blood. You cannot. Paul and Barnabas got into a position where they had to argue vehemently about this. Another question for you Are you willing to stand against false teaching and complication in our day? Did you heard? Are you willing to stand against false teaching? Are you willing to stand against someone trying to complicate the gospel? Are you willing to call it out? (laughs) You better check yourself. I'm telling you right now because there needs to be a courage. Not a courage, but like a courage inside of you that says, I'm not going to stand for that. That's false. That's not true. It wipes out what Christ did on the cross. You can't add to the cross. Are you willing to call it out? Stand against it. Next question, are you willing no matter what you've experienced to allow others to simply accept what Jesus did on the cross as enough to make them right with God? Are you willing? I have to be willing to not make people go through what I had to go through in order to be in a relationship with God. I'm mad because it happened to me, but I'm not mad at them, right? I've actually learned like Paul did. I learned what this religious legalism does to somebody. And I go, you know what? I'm not going to lay that burden on anybody. I'm not going to spread that false teaching. I'm going to tell you straight up how you can get to be right with God by Jesus. You can't jump through a hoop. You can't stand on your head. It doesn't matter. You can't do anything except have a little bit of faith to be right with God. Because here's the real question. This is the real question. Is the gospel enough to make people right with God? Is the gospel enough to make people right with God? Is the gospel enough to make you right with God? Or do you feel like you have to do something else to be right with God? Mm hmm. is the gospel enough to make you right with God I'm going to come back to that in a minute but I need to flip the script for a minute on this whole thing because there's some churches that have oversimplified the gospel there's some people that have oversimplified the gospel Some churches believe if you show up, you're sure up. Where's that found? Attend a church and you're going to make it to heaven. Wait, what? Just go to church every Sunday and you'll, you'll avoid the, the burning fires of hell. I'm, I'm afraid to tell you, but there's people in churches all over America today that, that if they died right now, they would knock hell wide open. Some people have oversimplified the gospel. And others have overcomplicated the gospel. You see, you can join a little C church by showing up. But if you're going to be the capital C church, you're going to have to accept that Jesus what he did on the cross is the only way to be made right with God. And you're going to have to accept that Jesus is Lord, and you are not. If you're going to be the capital C church, you can go join a little C church. You can go through Next Step. Everybody got Next Step. You can go through Next Step, a membership class, and you can get your T-shirt, and you can join a dream team and still go to hell. Only after you accept what Jesus did on the cross and what God did in the grave can you be saved. And you have to come to terms with Jesus is Lord and you're not. <sighs> that's, that's the Romans ten nine and 10 thing. You, you're going to have to Romans 10, 9, and 10 your life. What is that? What is Romans 10, 9? Romans 10, 9 and 10 it says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the grave and, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You're going to have to Romans 10, 9 and 10 this thing. You're going to have to believe in your heart. Listen to me. God looks in your heart to justify whether or not you really believe that he raised Jesus from the grave. Only God can determine whether or not you're saved. Man cannot. The only thing man can ever hope to do is examine the fruit that should be popping up out of your life. So God looks at the heart to justify if we've been saved or not, if we're we're sincere or not, if we're committed or not, or we're just giving lip service or responding to an emotional situation. And then it says you have to confess with your mouth. I had this understanding this week. I need to confess to me before I confess to the rest of the world. Because Jesus needs to be Lord in me before he can be Lord in the world. I can't go running around telling everybody Jesus is Lord if he's not Lord in my life. Amen? He's got to be Lord in my life. In fact, I'll tell you, to prove to the world that Jesus is Lord, you first have to allow the lordship of Jesus to be seen in your own life. So they get back to Jerusalem. Guess who's there? Peter. My boy Peter's there. If you ever want to go into a meeting, you want Peter to be there because what needs to be said is going to be said when Peter's there. Come on, somebody. I got a Peter in the room. (laughs) They just say it. Sometimes they rub me the wrong way, but there's this underlying appreciation for that person because they ain't afraid to say what they need to say. They don't always get the timing right, and it's not always appropriate, but at least somebody said it. (laughs) Peter's there, and Peter goes, let me remind you of the time I went to the Gentiles, and the Lord did an incredible work with the Gentiles. And we pick up in verse 8, where Peter says this. He says, God knows people's hearts. That should encourage you and scare you at the same time. (laughs) right? Like it should be freaking you out, but then giving you some peace at the same time. Like God knows my heart. That's a good thing. God knows people's hearts. Watch this. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. Now that's a big deal right there. That's a really big deal. Peter's saying to the whole crowd that's arguing over whether or not we need to add something to the cross that God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just like he did to us. So, what is Peter saying? That God accepts the Gentiles by Romans 10, 9, and 10, and He confirms it, affirms it, puts His stamp of approval on them by giving them the Holy Spirit. How do you know if somebody's saved? Do they have the Holy Spirit or not? (laughs) He don't come after 26 days and 33 minutes. He comes at the point of salvation. When, when, you, when you give your life to Christ, the, and God confirms, when he justifies your heart, boom, he gives you the Holy Spirit in that moment. And that why, that's why things should start changing from that moment going forward. Because you used to be void of the Holy Spirit, but now you've been given the Holy Spirit. You went from spiritual death into spiritual life. Come on, you know what I'm saying this morning? Like you've gone from spiritual death into spiritual life. You have the, the best help ever known. Living with you. He moved in. Brought all of his stuff. Like, I'm here. (laughs) You see, God knows our hearts and he knows if someone's serious or not. He knows if someone's committed or not. And those that are, he confirms them by giving them his Holy Spirit. Hmm. So let me back up for just a minute. How are we saved? By grace through faith. Right? I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the grave. I confess with my mouth. I make a declaration that Jesus is Lord of my life. I'm saved. That needs to be the foundation of your life. You've you got to stand on top of that platform. That has to be, that's the, that's the foundation that your life needs to be built on, is that Christ did the work that I could not do. He gave his life for my sins. He gave his life for me. I accept it. I believe it in my heart, confess it with my mouth. Now I'm saved. That's the foundation of your life. So, the best evidence of the Holy Spirit in someone's life is what? Is it praying in tongues? Is it operating in a spiritual gift? Is it growing your hair long? Is it wearing a dress? Is it not wearing makeup? I'm just picking. What's the greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life? Is it religious talk? Is it the ability to quote scripture? Is it you wear Christian t shirts now? Is it a new cross? You get like a, a gold, like a real gold cross now, and, and so I'm saved? I mean, like, what's, what's the real evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? It's very simple. It's called fruit. No fruit, no Holy Spirit. Focus on the fruit. And stop focusing on either their failures or your failures. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5. It's the fruit chapter. Galatians 5, 22 to 26. Watch what it says. Right off the bat, first five, six words teaches us something very profound. Verse 22 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Who, who does the producing? Holy the Holy Spirit produces this fruit. Can we just pause for a minute and, and, and unpack that for a second? Who produces fruit in your life? You ever wonder why you're not getting more patient than you, and you've been trying? You ever wonder why you don't have as much joy as you've been trying for? Maybe it's because you're trying to produce fruit in your life and you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in your life. Oh, you're going to have to wrestle with that one a little bit. All my control people. Because we like to be in control. No, I regulate how much joy I have. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. We're going to talk about how he does that in just a minute. Here's the fruit. Love. <laughs> no love, no spirit. <laughs> joy. Same thing. Peace. Whew, that's some good fruit, right? Love, joy, peace. Man, you get full on those three fruits. Patience. Kindness. Goodness, faithfulness. This is my favorite because it's the hardest one for me. Gentleness. I can be booed in China closet. Gentleness. Cheryl, am I more gentle than I used to be? Okay. It's only because of the Holy Spirit. And then watch this last one, self-control. Can I be honest with you? I got a personal issue with the last one. Because I'm like, how can self-control be a fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in me? Ain't I'm, ain't, ain't, <laughs> am I not the one responsible for self-control? That's why it's called self-control, right? Shouldn't it mean that it's for myself to control myself? How can it be a fruit produced by the Holy Spirit Anybody ever wonder that same question? That's okay. You don't have to raise your hand. Just leave me alone by myself. That's okay. I'm weird. That's all right. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will produce self-control in you if you allow him to. Then it says there is no law against these things. I love that part. You know what that means? That means all my effort, all my striving, all my my good intentions, all my sweat, blood, and tears are useless. There's no law against this thing. You see, the law put all the weight on us and made us have to produce the goodness of God. That's what the law does. When he tells us that there's no law against this thing, it releases me from having to strain. I'm gonna let you wrestle with it for a minute because some of you you're like, oof. Is that some of you got this little thing going on right here? Like, like a little short in your circuit. Like, is that right? There's no law against that. So you mean, Pastor, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to just sit around and let the Holy Spirit just poop pop fruit up in my life? Nope. Ain't how it works. That ain't how it works, but he does it. How? How do you grow fruit? Interesting. Verse 24. Remember, we're going to keep it simple. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them, watch this, There. Now, now let's let's. I'm not the best English guy in the world, but this is speaking in past tense form. Yes, I practice that. (laughs) I I, I kick myself all the time for not paying attention to English, or not paying attention in English class. (laughs) Let's all pause for Pastor Jamie. Those, watch this now, you got to get this because this is a nugget in the middle of all this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed, already nailed, been nailed, done nailed, <laughs> the nails be rusty. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross, Jesus' cross, and have crucified them there. Yes. Just, just giving you a minute to chew on it. Who who did this? Those who belong to Christ Jesus. Those folks The ones that are justified in their heart and have confessed with their mouth that God's given them this Holy Spirit, those folks have nailed their passions, the passions and desires of their sinful nature on the cross over there. (laughs) That's your base. Some of you are trying to pay for something that's already been nailed. Some of you are being held back by something that's hanging on a cross somewhere, and it might have done fell off because it done rotted. Some of, some of you are letting that old thing nailed over there hold you back now, and it doesn't belong. and doesn't have the authority to hold you back now because you belong to Christ. You have nailed those passions and desires on his cross, and you need to live from that. You have to live from that. That means you need to forgive yourself because Jesus has already forgiven you. That means you need to release yourself because Jesus has already released you. You cannot pay for something that's already paid for. That has to be the foundation of your life that you live from. Because of Jesus, I am right. Period. I'm right. Look at your neighbor and say, you can't get no more righter than you are. I'm wrecking English all over the place. You can't get no more right than you are. Boy, I'm telling you, when you learn that and you get that deep down in your soul and you start to live from that, You want to talk about some freedom? You'll start dropping bad habits like a bad habit, right? You'll start dropping addictions like a bad habit. You'll start walking away from junk you should have walked away from years ago because now you realize that's been nailed to the cross. I don't have to live by its dictates anymore. It doesn't dictate my life anymore. Christ and his Holy Spirit dictates my life now. You'll smooth walk away from addictions. You'll smooth walk away from struggles. You'll be like, man, that was easy. Yeah, because something transformed in your mind. You see, when you believe that you still got to pay for your past, you, you can never pay for your past, so you live condemned. When you live condemned, you have no life. So eventually you give up and you just keep doing the same old things again because you're like, it's useless. It doesn't even pay. I'm trying, but I can't get free. What if you're already free? This is what Paul was arguing. People were trying to add something to it. You let one thing get added. Before you know it, they're adding something else. And and Paul's like, no. No, because of what Christ has done, you are free. You're right with God right now. Your passion and desire of your sinful nature has been nailed to the cross. It doesn't control you anymore. Well, you might be sitting here going, well, well, then why do I still fall with this sometimes? Because you're allowing cravings to hang out. Because you're allowing, you could. Let's move on. Verse 25. Since we are living by the Spirit... You see the assumption? You hear the assumption in that? Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading, watch this, in every part of our lives. What parts are you holding on to? What parts are you not allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you? What parts are you still in control of? Or, you know, you can have this, and, and you can have this, and, and you can have, like, like the Holy Spirit moved into your house. You going, well, you can hang out in this room. You can be in this room. You can use this bathroom. You can go into the kitchen. But this side of the pantry is mine, and this bedroom over here is mine, and that bathroom's mine. You can't go into that. And so we hang on to different parts of our lives, and we don't allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in every part of our life. And we continue to struggle. And we're sitting here going, why am I struggling? Why am I lapping the mountain? Why am I still dealing with old devils? (laughs) And then you'll look around at the people you have influence over and you'll wonder why they're not growing. And it's because you're simply holding them hostage with your additions to the cross. You see, we get caught up trying to be the Holy Spirit in other people's lives. Let's take our children, for instance. I am 100% guilty of this. I have tried to be the Holy Spirit to my kids. Not only that, we'll try to be the Holy Spirit to ourselves. (laughs) Prove that I'm wrong. We get caught up in trying to be the Holy Spirit to others and to ourselves, thinking that what, what, what lies within this noggin of mine has all the things it needs to lead this body of mine. And it's absurd. So when we're trying to control others and we're trying to control our own life, when it don't go the way it's supposed to go, we add stuff to it. Well, maybe you need to add this and then add that and then add that. And you, before you know it, you're going to mess the whole gumbo up. Come on, somebody. You put too much in the gumbo. It's all thick, look like a gravy and got weird tomatoes. We're sitting here trying to add stuff into our lives. We're going, But it ain't working and it ain't working. No, the problem is, is you're not following You're controlling. And as long as you're controlling, you're not following. (laughs) If I could do a backflip, I'd do it right now. (sighs) So, what could change? If I decided to encourage others to continue following the Holy Spirit. What could change if I quit focusing on the failure and started looking at the fruit? What could change if I stopped looking at the failures in my own life and I started to examine my own fruit? What, what, if, what would happen if instead of focusing on my failures and letting that drag me down, I just focus on my fruit and pursue Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to produce more fruit? Maybe I'll get away from all the failures. But you see, we go at it the wrong way. We want to point out failures all the time. Well, you failed at this and you failed at that. And you need to try this. You need to try that. No. Stop. Simply follow the Holy Spirit. Because he produces fruit in your life. Rules and regulations do not. Law cannot produce fruit. (sighs) Why is it so hard? To not focus on failures. I almost ruined my kids. All I want to talk about is what they were doing wrong. Well, you messed this up and you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And if they do something great, I would pick it apart and well, you could have done this better and you could have done that. I never just relaxed in the fact that you did better than you did last time. Praise God. You brought the garbage bag all the way to the garbage can. Hallelujah. Just because you lost 10 pieces from here to there, we'll fix that next time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, so Paul's talking about passions and desires See, I want to unpack this a little bit. He's saying that that you nailed the passions and desires. Watch this because we need to understand it. Those passions and desires that were nailed to his cross were the passions and desires of your sinful nature. Your sinful nature died on the cross. Here's the good news. Now that you're following the Holy Spirit, you get some new passions and some new desires. But these passions and desires are of the Holy Spirit. Huh. That's why a grouchy old man who's greedy gets saved and filled with God's Spirit, all of a sudden becomes kind and generous. And you go, what happened? He got some new passion and desire. It's the passion and desire of the Holy Spirit. It's not his old passion. Well, how did that happen? He died, y'all. He just died. He died and Christ lives in him now. That's the difference. I don't know how else to explain it. He died. He did. He gone. You get new passions and new desires of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good news? That's that's the kind of stuff that makes me want to help somebody who's hurting. That's the kind of stuff that makes me want to get up every Sunday morning and every morning of the week and spend time with Jesus so I can get something from heaven to give to these people on the earth. It's a new passion. It's a new desire. I don't live for myself anymore. I live for Christ and what he loves, and that's people. It's a new passion and a new desire that comes from the Holy Spirit. Is this making sense? Galatians 5.16, back up just a little bit. Look at what Paul says. So I say, (laughs) let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Here it is. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Oh. You seeing a pattern? You starting to see a pattern? You get past your old self. Outwalk him. <laughs> Stay ahead of him. <laughs> follow the Holy Spirit. Don't follow your own natural way of living. Hmm. Follow the Holy Spirit. He says, Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then, as the Holy Spirit's guiding your life, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Tell me that ain't good. That's good. So then he says to follow the Spirit's leading. What does that mean? Because it's worth unpacking. It means to walk in line with, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. How many of you can can tend to run ahead? Come on. Like people try to go shopping with you and you two stores down. and They're like, that's why this ain't no fun. How many of you can run ahead? Come on. Like you can just get ahead. Outrun God, outrun everybody. Right? And then be looking around like, where's everybody at? I just don't sense God anymore. No, you left him four miles back. Paul is telling them to keep in line, to walk in line with, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. You got to live with this understanding. You got to get this today. The Holy Spirit is committed. Listen to me. Committed to walk with you every day. I'm going to say it again because some of you look like the mule at the gate. The Holy Spirit has committed himself to walk with you, yes, you, every single day, all day. And you'll never see it until you start to believe it. He's committed. He's committed to walk with you. So, stop trying to fix failures and start encouraging others to follow. This needs to be your new term or your new statement to people when they fall, even yourself. Some of you may need to say this in the mirror. Simple phrase, you might want to write it down. Get up and keep following. Get up and keep following. You don't need three more steps. On how to get over your situation. You just need to get up and keep following. Get up, keep following. (laughs) Then this is very interesting what comes next. Verse 26. So Paul's telling us all this wonderful stuff about the Holy Spirit. Like, man, he's gonna produce all this fruit in your life, he's doing the producing like ah it's good and those who belong to Christ their old passions and desires have been nailed to the cross you don't have to live by that no more good news follow the holy spirit live by the holy spirit and then 26 pops in like a flat tire just got Paul goes let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another and i go that's interesting why would you put that right there it doesn't always make sense to me. Why give a warning after you just told me I was going to get some fruit? It's almost like somebody giving you a brand-new Harley and saying, listen, just be careful. It's fast. And you're like, yeah, I know. No, no, like, be careful. Like, my uncle had this antique Harley Davidson one time, and I went to his house all prideful. I said, I got this. And he was, he was crazy enough to let me drive it. I jumped on the bike, cranked up, boom, boom, boom. He said, now be careful, boy, that thing got some juice. I let off the clutch, went straight underneath the trailer house. I got up and I said, I (laughs) got to (laughs) go. Before you kill me, I got to go. (laughs) I don't know why I'm telling you this story. But Paul's giving a warning right now. Listen to this. We got to unpack this for a minute. He's saying, do not or or, don't let us or let us not become conceited. Conceited is a fancy word for prideful. Listen to this. After getting better at following the Holy Spirit, side note, by the way, the devil's going to fight you the whole time. (laughs) After getting better fighting through the devil, fighting through the temptations, after getting better at following the Holy Spirit, Paul says, be careful because you might get prideful. Oh, spiritual pride is a serious thing. It's a serious issue. It's a twist of the hand by the enemy. If he can't get you to not produce fruit, when you start producing fruit, he's going to come in and slip in a little bit of spiritual pride. You want me to explain what that looks like? Because you might see it in yourself. You sure you want to know? (laughs) It's when you know everything and nobody knows nothing. It's when you become unteachable, uncorrectable. Oh, ain't nobody can change your mind. You know it all and nobody else knows anything. Spiritual pride. It's when you start to look at other people and compare your life to them instead of comparing your life to Christ. It's the comparison trap. So you start looking at other people who may not be producing fruit as fast as you. And you start saying, well, they need to keep up. The Lord's been doing some good stuff in me. I mean, I got it going on me. Look at my fruit. Y'all want to see my fruit? I got fruit. Hey, check out my fruit. You'll say see, see, I'm patient. I'm always joyful. With a smirk on your face. I'm always joyful. I'm gentle. What you mean I'm not gentle? I'm gentle. <laughs> if you got to convince people of something, you might not be that. believing you're always right and others are not and you know what's funny is it creates this hardness about you it's like it's like an M&M it's a hard crusty exterior it's a it's a it's a hard shell on the not crusty M&Ms aren't crusty they're good <laughs> it's like an M&M it melts in your mouth not in your hands right you got this hard exterior to you But watch this instead of people reaching in a bowl to grab you because they like you they start to push away from you some of you don't have to try to be isolated. You've been isolated because people don't want to be around you. Because you've become spiritually prideful. And you'll even get prideful in that and go, well, they just can't handle my anointing. They just, they just get intimidated by my fruit. Well, I'm serious. Some of you are in this church. And all of us could be there any minute. It's a warning. <laughs> You'll push people away. All because you started producing fruit from the Holy Spirit. Boy, is that not a sleight of hand? Man, the enemy's can I he can eye with both eyes. <laughs> then Paul tells us he warns us to or to provoke one another. You know what happens when you become spiritually prideful? You begin to provoke people. What does that mean? That means you provoke them to fake like they're good as you, or you provoke them to give up trying to be anything. So your spiritual pride can either condemn them or it can cause them to want to be fake so that they feel like they can measure up to where you think you are. And so you set this standard for people and if they never get up to here, they always feel like a failure. But the only person that puts you up here is you. You'll do it with your kids, you'll do it with your friends, you'll do it with your spouse, you'll do it with your grandkids, you'll do it with your friends, your co-workers, anybody you know. You'll do it if you're not careful. You'll become so prideful that you'll put yourself on a pedestal and feel like everybody else has to measure up. And if they can't measure up, they get provoked to either stay down like a beat dog and they cringe every time you come around. And they don't really like to be around you because every time they get around you, they feel like they don't measure up. Or are they going to fake it when you're around? And act like everything's cookies and cream. And it's not. <laughs> then Paul says... or be jealous of one another. There's a sin called envy. Envy and jealousy are cousins. <laughs> you see, when you're a prideful person, I can't help but believe God always puts you around somebody that, that's better than you. <laughs> Just kind of like a, oh, yeah? It's kind of like God guy going, oh, yeah, you all that? Let me put you in this room. Let me put you next to this person. Then what happens when you get around somebody who actually does know more than you and can stand against you, even with a humble heart? Huh. Oh, yeah. You become jealous. Or you become critical? You'll start picking them up hard in, in an effort to try and pull them down. <laughs> Man, I just, I, I, when I read this, I go, I, I'm just like, and I've been reading Galatians 5 for a long time. <laughs> and today, honestly, I just sit back and I go, whew, this is massive. Like, like this whole fruit thing is, is massive. It's, it's, it's extremely simple. But it's extremely massive. And it's extremely powerful. Think about it. If the Holy Spirit produces something in you, and that thing is so good that warnings have to be given to it so that you don't fall into sin, what the heck are we messing with? What is this fruit? Is it just fruit or is it like fruit? Like this is some good stuff. It's so good, it has to come with a warning label. That's powerful. But watch this. But that's the Holy Spirit in your life. Powerful. So How does this fruit pop up in my life, Pastor? Because I really need to know because I'm a detailed person and you skipped over that part. You didn't tell me actually how the Holy Spirit produces this fruit in my life. Actually, I did. You weren't paying attention. He produces the fruit in your life as you follow him. When you finally decide to quit following yourself or the world, then you start following the Holy Spirit What comes out of you as you follow the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. Because he will lead you into situations to make you realize you don't have as much patience as you thought you did. He'll allow you to go through circumstances where you realize, I don't have as much joy as I thought I had. And then you'll become aware of your lacking of fruit. And then you'll turn and cry out to him and say, Lord, would you continue to produce fruit in my life? As you follow him. Say that with me. As I follow him. The Holy Spirit. That's how God confirms his people. It's by giving him the powerful, giving them the powerful Holy Spirit. So are you convinced yet? Are you convinced that the best thing you can do is follow the Holy Spirit? Over the last several weeks, I've happened across several people who have been struggling. And and I, God graciously gave me the moment, Cheryl and I, most of the time, to sit and talk with them and kind of unpack why they're struggling. And they're struggling and they're struggling and... And they can't, uh, they can't understand why they're struggling and this is going wrong and that's going wrong. There's no peace in my life. There's no joy in my life. I'm a believer, but I just, it just ain't, it ain't clicking. And the Lord told me to start asking some different questions. And one of the questions the Lord told me to ask was, when's the last time you prayed in the spirit? And it's a very direct question that some people might even find offensive, but I don't really care because it's a gift. And I don't think you need to be offended about a gift. Ooh, that was a mouthful. <laughs> when is the last time you prayed in the Holy Spirit? Has it been a couple days? Has it been a couple weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years? What has it been? And a lot of times lately it's been, it's been a long time. For one person it's been almost 15 years. So let's just unpack that real quick. You're struggling in your life right now. You don't sense God. You don't see Him around. You're struggling because of everything that's going on. You're mad at the world. You're mad at yourself. Whose fault is that? Is it really God's fault? Is it really somebody else's fault? Or is it that you just quit following? So, question. With some country music. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) The Lord knows, He knows what I like. (laughs) Every time y'all hear that song, y'all gonna think about this question. Praise God. (laughs) When is the last time you prayed in the spirit? My buddy John in the back had been through freedom the Freedom Life group, and went to the Freedom Conference and got filled with the Holy Spirit, but never prayed in tongues. I asked John if I could share his story. And so about two weeks ago, uh, we, had a, we had a great move of God at the end of the service, and we were praying for a bunch of people, and, and it was when you, Patty, were right here, and we had people around you praying for you. John was one of those people praying for Patty, but John had never prayed in the Spirit before. John walks up, and he's just praying in straight old Cajun English, just like right over Patty, and he said, all of a sudden, it just started to flow out of his mouth. And so after the whole thing, we were all in the four-year kind of high five and chest bumping all this stuff about what God had done and all this and that. And Giant comes up like, "Bro, I gotta tell y'all a story." Like, "Bro," like we were praying for that lady, and like, "Like, bro," I was praying like, like in English, and and just it, it just I just started praying in tongues, and and like it just came out. So then we started knuckle-bumping, chest-bumping, head-butting. Ah, Jesus is awesome. So I went to him this morning. During worship, I said, hey, bro, you been praying in tongues? He said, well, it just it ain't come back out. I said, no, dude, you got the switch. You turn it on or off. Like it don't matter. You control it. And he's so innocent. I love you, John. He's just so innocent. He goes, he's brand new. He's brand new. Loving, growing like a wildfire. He just goes, Really? I said, Yeah, bro, like you control it. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so then I went back and started worshiping again. Some of you here today have been afraid or complacent with the Holy Spirit. Well, I just don't understand. I just don't know. I'm just uncomfortable. He's not going to embarrass you. He will wreck your life in a good way. He's not going to embarrass you. Some of you are afraid. You're afraid of what other people would think. You're afraid to get it wrong. My God, if you're going to mess up, mess up with the Holy Ghost. Don't mess up in the flesh. Can I get a better amen? (laughs) I mean, dear goodness, if you're going to mess up, mess up doing something. Don't mess up doing nothing. And then some of you are just complacent. You just you just drop the Holy Spirit like He's just, you know, like a a water hose hanging outside, just drying out, crusting, gonna rot, and when you need it, it ain't gonna be there. You just you just be lazy. You're not stirring nothing up. I mean come on, like like (laughs) be complacent with sin. Be complacent with the world. Turn the flipping TV off. Pray in tongues. Stir up the environment. Anoint your house. Get you some oil. Run around the house praying in tongues, even though you hadn't prayed in 15 years. Get you some oil and hit the doors and the windows and stir something up. Don't sit around complaining. I lost my oil. And don't, don't sit around complaining. Do something. Like John, he's given you a gift. Use it. And quit wondering if you're supposed to have it. If the Bible says you're supposed to have it, then it's yours. Follow the Holy Spirit. Stop following yourself. (sighs) Complaining doesn't change anything. Boudin doesn't, doesn't change anything. Pointing out everybody's failures doesn't fix anything. For the love of God, can we get past our failures and move forward? Can we follow something other than our failures? Can we follow the Holy Ghost instead? Can we go, because he's leading to life. Failures are leading to death. I'm tired of living in deathland. Can we get to life land for a minute? You've been afraid or you've been complacent or you've allowed the enemy to convince you that it's not real. Lie! If you did it once, you got it. Use it. I'm going to say that very calmly. If you did it once, you got it. Use it. Is that better? Okay. And Some of you today, you're experiencing conviction right now by the Holy Spirit. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. Because I asked him last night if I was caught up in this next question or this next statement. I said, Lord, have I become conceited in any area of my life? Sometimes you don't know unless you ask. (laughs) Some of you have gotten really good at following the Holy Spirit. But spiritual pride has crept into your thinking. Nothing to be ashamed of. No condemnation. Repent. Which means to turn away from that. Turn back to God and humble yourself. Is that okay? I'm trying to make it easier for you to confess it. So you can walk away from it. But wherever you find yourself today. I want you to know that the best, healthiest thing you can do as a believer is follow the Holy Spirit every day. So how do we keep it simple? Follow the Holy Spirit. I just heard this question. But I don't know how. Okay? That's legit. It's a legitimate question. I'm glad you asked that question, even though you didn't say it all right. I don't know how. How do I do that? Well, number one, you need to pray. Ask God to help you follow the Holy Spirit. Very simple, very practical. Lord, I want to follow the Holy Spirit. Will you help me to get better at following the Holy Spirit? Then you need to put a little pedal to the metal. Like you need to act on that. You don't need to just pray it and wait for God to push you into it. You need to pray and ask him, and then you need to start listening. Some of you, your life is so busy that your rhythm is keeping you from following the Holy Spirit. Your life rhythm is too crazy. You're too busy. You're running too much. You got too much on your schedule. You can't sit still long enough to eat a good meal, much less follow the Holy Spirit, So some of you, you're going to have to make some drastic changes. You're going to have to cut some junk off of your calendar. And you need to change the rhythm of your life. What is your rhythm? Is your rhythm healthy or not? Do you live a healthy rhythm? What is a healthy rhythm? A healthy rhythm is that tomorrow I know how it's going to beat. Tomorrow I'm going to start with the right beat. I'm going to start with Jesus. He's going to set the tempo for the rest of my day. Come on. And then the other thing is you're just going to have to trust what you're hearing. Like I said, if you're going to make a mistake, make a mistake following the Holy Spirit. Don't make a mistake following the flesh. That's why it's good to know your word. Because if it don't line up with this, it ain't the Holy Ghost. It's a different kind of ghost. Because the Holy Ghost, don't, he don't veer off of this. This keeps me straight. I like to hit the dits on the side of the road. Come on, somebody. This keeps me between the lines, right? Is that help? But you're not going to get it and you're not going to get better at it sitting around daying and just thinking it's going to pop up on you one day out of the blue. I don't know how to look. <laughs> so let me wrap this up. The worship team can come up. We're going we're gonna to play another song. We're we'll going to see what the Lord wants us to do. <laughs> As always, if you're in a hurry and you, you don't want to hang out, you can leave. And I mean that sincerely, not not roughly. Um, you remember when Philip preached in Samaria? We went over this several weeks ago. Philip preached in Samaria. Many people were saved and delivered. You remember that story? It's around Acts chapter 6, 7, or 8, somewhere in there, where Philip preached in Samaria. Many people got saved, delivered. Demons were cast out. All these great things happened. The Holy Spirit was such a big deal that the apostles who were still in Jerusalem sent Peter and John, two of the leading apostles, to Samaria for one specific reason, to make sure they received the Holy Spirit. There's an urgency in this room today to receive the Holy Spirit and then to follow the Holy Spirit. You don't need more rules, you don't need more regulations, you don't need any more laws. You just need to follow the Holy Spirit and you need to allow him to produce fruit in your life. And if you're not seeing any new fruit, then you need to humble yourself before him and ask him why Whatever that reason is why, then you need to repent of that. If your schedule's too busy, if your life's too crazy, if you're emotionally unbalanced, whatever it is, you need to talk to God about that and get back straight. A believer or the church cannot grow unless they follow the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your confirmation from God. It's your stamp of approval. He's your helper, your teacher, your counselor, your guide. Come on. Romans 8.14 says this. I just want you to let this verse soak into you for a minute. 814, one, of, one of my life verses that changed my life forever. When I was sitting in this place of having to decide to follow the Holy Spirit or not, I was wrestling with the decision. I, I, the Lord gave me 814. This is what it says. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. I'm not a child of God just because I sing I'm a child of God. If I'm led by his Spirit. So what happens after this big old vehement argument? Verse 31 of chapter 15 in Acts says this. What they did is they wrote a letter to all the churches, to all the Gentiles, and they said, listen, you don't have to be circumcised. They gave him a few instructions, but it wasn't for salvation. It was just to live a healthy life. Don't don't get involved in sexual immorality and don't don't eat, don't drink blood from animals that have been sacrificed and strangled or not. Like, Like, duh, that's just wisdom, right? But it wasn't in order to be saved. And when the church read the letter, watch what happened, verse 31. And there was great joy throughout the city that day. As they read this encouraging message, can I kindly tell you, you don't need to do anything else? You just need to follow the Holy Spirit. It starts with surrender. start with repentance and confession. Lord, I've been leading my own life, calling my own shots, making my own decisions, not talking to you about anything. Please forgive me. Bow your heads and let's pray real quick. some of my leaders up here, please, to come and pray for some folks. Lord, we come to you in this moment. I truly believe your word, as it is a double-edged sword, has pierced even the hardest heart in the room. God, I pray right now that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would be crystal clear to all of us. It's not something that condemns us. It's something that lifts us. So Lord, where we've been busy following ourselves, or following the world or following friends and even churches, I ask you to forgive us because we haven't been following the Holy Spirit. of when Jesus said, I must go so that he can come. Even Jesus stepped aside for the Holy Spirit to come. God, help us today to realize the bigness, weightiness of the Holy Spirit. Meet us in this moment.